0: We'll be reading 1 Kings 4 1 through 7, and 20 through 34. King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his high official. Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest. Elihoreth and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were secretaries. Jehoshaphat and Abathar were priests. Azariah, the son. in Abathar were priests, Azariah the son of Nathan was over the officers, Zabad the son of Nathan was priest and king's friend, Ahishar was in charge of the palace, and Adoniram the son of Abda was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month in the year. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal ten fat oxen, and twenty pasture-fed cattle, a hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tipsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month, they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite. Ezraite, and Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nation. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Amen.
1: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue in our sermon series in the book of 1 Kings, it's less than a month before election day, right? And the last debate has happened for the presidential candidates. The political ads and pundits and talking heads, I don't know about you, but they are wearing me out. But our desire to be like the people under Solomon, even though we're worn out, is still largely our hope. The Bible says they ate and drank and were happy and had peace on all sides and everyone enjoyed safety, the Bible says. As each lived under their own vine and under their fig tree, in other words, the middle class was huge. The jobless rate was basically zero, and Solomon's approval rate was ninety-nine percent. As we continue in our journal through the book of First Kings, journey rather through the book of First Kings. Last week we saw how God answered King Solomon, King of Israel, back in 1000 B.C. in his request to be a wise king and God not only gave him wisdom that made him the wisest man the Bible says that probably ever lived the Bible tells us that God blessed Solomon with both riches and honor when I hear this like many of you it makes me a little nervous because riches and honor right are sure to corrupt. So why did God give one man all of that power? Because from what we can gather, God wanted to not just bless Solomon, he wanted to use Solomon, to use Solomon to bless and show his people and the world his glory. You see, King Solomon and his kingdom was a way for us to see how God can use regular broken people like you and me to see and know and show his glory in all the world. And there are three things I want us to get from this passage about God seen through Solomon's reign first, that the God of the Bible is glorious. Secondly, God deserves all our glory. And finally, God glories in his people. He's glorious. He deserves all glory. And finally, he glories in us. God used Solomon as he described here in 1 Kings to show the world and us that the God of Israel was glorious, both brilliant and benevolent. Now, I didn't include verses 1 through 7, Pamela, in our reading with all those crazy names just to be mean, to the scripture reader. I didn't include verses 8 through 20, which are really rough. But I included it to show that Solomon's kingdom administration and what the Bible wants to see, that it was brilliant. That he knew who and where everyone, every place and everyone should go, and that his organizational skills matching people with place and task was second to none. But he not only had administrative skills, but his grasp and knowledge and insight, the Bible tells us at the end of this passage on humanities and arts and science was amazing. Look at he, how he's described beginning at verse 29. It says, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the of the east and and all and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than other men, wiser than Ezrahite and the Ezra, sorry, Ethan the Ezrahite and Henan and Kalkal and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom." Before we get it twisted, remember, this was not Solomon's brilliance, right? But if we look at the last verse of the chapter before, but this was God's brilliance and wisdom coming through him understand this, then, like the sun or bright light brings clarity and understanding to what is hidden, obscure, and unseen by those in the dark, or nor to people living in the dark, Solomon's wisdom about nature and literature and art brought out was what was beautiful and important that only God could bring out and see. He helped people. People from all over the world connect with what God had created and done. When God shines bright on things, things shine bright like and in ways they could have and have never been known to be valuable and beautiful and important ever before. A bird is just a bird. And a song is just a song, and a certain plant just a plant, and a human just a human. But with God's brilliant, God's glory shining on it, like what happened in Solomon's wisdom, it's more than biology. It brought out why and how God valued and made them and made us. I do fish tanks as a hobby. Don't look at my one in the office right now. I was telling somebody it looks like the fish tank in Finding Nemo when they put the rock in the filter. It's really bad right now. I don't know why I like doing fish tanks. Never had a fish tank growing up. Maybe that's why I got some suppressed anger. I wanted a fish tank. I'm growing. I'm getting me one now. Now I know why maybe my parents didn't want to have one. Okay, but it just kind of snuck upon me. And when I went to get some new fish for my tank at home, I have two of them at home, I've been eyeing these glow fish. Y'all seen those, right? They are regular-looking fish if you just look at them, right? With a higher price on them than I would like to pay because they just look regular at first sight. And then you put this black light on them, and bam, right? Just how they are naturally. They glow with this fluorescent wonder. Now I see why they cost so much this week to had buy three, get one free, right? But God's brilliance makes the world and how it should work and why it works glow with his brilliance. So, I give a thumbs up to science and research and management and arts and academia as being places that God can and does care to bring brilliance to. He alone, though, can bring glory and value and wonder He has put into all created things to our seeing and our knowing. Went to this reading thing this week where our very own Mike Sales did a presentation at Law revolution I said it right and they had all them artsy people in there I knew I was in over my head just the way people look you know the vibe in there you know I majored in English but I ain't got that kind of artistic flow that feel I was like well how do I look I look horny I don't look artsy Maybe I shouldn't have combed my head this morning. Something, you know, stand out. Maybe I shouldn't have worn deodorant. Something <laughs> to just be with those people. You know what I'm talking about. But what they did is they had these speakers uh, give uh, bi- uh, biographies and testimonies on certain things. And Mike Sales did one on sacred spaces. And he talked about and chronicled what was going on at Christ Central and his experience in the black church and what the black church meant, and how Christ Central's kind of this crazy mix of black church and white reform theology. It was crazy, just like we crazy in here. And, um, and you know, and they'd have the, it all over. There were these um, um, uh, flat screen TVs all over the place, and you would have a picture flash for 20 seconds, and you had 20 seconds to talk on each picture and kind of narrate your thing. Artsy! Ridiculous! I'm like, what, 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 what? Like I didn't know. Ain't no closed caption on the thing. Mike was really good. I was able to follow. Where am I going on going with this? I was tuned in. Not just to Mike, because Mike's thing was good. I understood. He was talking about Christ Central. But then they had this woman get up with this crazy red lipstick and talk about women's beauty and something. And then they had I'm telling you, it was It was really interesting. But why was I tuned in when I didn't know what the heck was, you know, all going on into it? You know, I had the experience in Grand Rapids when I went to this conference, uh, intergenerational and multi-ethnic and multi-gender thing, like male and female. Sorry, y'all. And so just kind of explain. And so I have to give thanks to Dr. Christina Edmondson and Dr. Lisa, I think her last name is Chapman or something. Huh? Harper. Harper. I sat there as a person in the PCA. We don't have women teaching elders. And so these PhD women were talking about women's issues and problems. And not just that, everything. And something happened to me like, whoa! My eyes opened up. It's God's brilliance and light. They talked about it and gave their testimony and shared the scripture and how they were dealing with things as women. God's brilliance brought glow to it in such a way where I went to this artsy thing. And when this woman got up, this artist, and it was kind of flashing and kind of crazy, I was tuned in. Because God's brilliance, through His word and glory, illuminated people and issues and circumstances that were dark and blind to me. And he illuminated it because here are things he created and cares about and he alone can give light and dignity and truth and worth to. And I was able to see it. God is glorious. And his brilliance goes out in the earth. you can see what this may require of us, right? We need to bring all to him into and see all things by his light. All things and peoples and situations to sit and be seen and used for his glory, which brings us to our second point. God deserves all glory and all glory should go to so back to the part with all of those crazy names that we have listed here for a minute. Um, so Solomon had a royal cabinet, and that cabinet had administrative support staff working for them. Think about Washington, D.C., and folks lived there with their families and all of that, and Solomon would need to provide for all of those kingdom administrators and all of their families, not to mention the foreign guests and dignitaries that came through and all the people that are mentioned that he was wiser than, probably his professors and thinkers and writers of songs and proverbs and all that stuff. and, and the. People people to run what I kind of see. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I think it's kind of great that I think Solomon has some kind of National Geographic sort of wildlife preserve going on, y'all. He knew about all the plants, not just the ones in his town, but the ones in other parts. He had them right there. He was talking about them. You know, when you turn on National Geographic, what do you see? We're down in this cave looking at this rare whatever, right? And you're like, what is it? Wow. See what they do? And they do a whole crap. Y'all, like, what's that series National Geographic did? The Life or something like that? And it took them 10 years to do it. What's the name of that thing? Come on, y'all. Planet Earth. Planet Earth. Ooh, that thing is something else. <laughs> right? And what does it do? Here's where God's brilliance comes into play. Again, I wasn't going to talk about this, but here's where God, God's brilliance plays a part. God shows us, like through Solomon's brilliance, look at all the beautiful things he's made. Look all the incredible things he's created. That's why it's important that you guys be scientists and you do research and you be an academia and you care about words and literature. Because here's the deal. Solomon's kingdom didn't fall under its own weight, the scripture's saying. The word dominion is used to describe him. The same word is used to describe Adam and Eve in the garden. It didn't fall under his own weight because Solomon knew how to be a conservationist and harness and use natural resources because of his knowledge in it, which gave value to it. All this stuff about renewable resources and conservationists and all this kind of stuff and caring about the animals and hugging the trees, that ain't new. Solomon did it a long time ago. And the reason Solomon did it, because God started it. They were able to bring all the stuff to Solomon, birds and stuff to eat and all kind of plants to build this house. Why? Because Solomon led with a wisdom that said, hey, this tree does this and this bird does this. And he probably knew how to make more of them. And he knew how to make them organic and free range and all these kind of things. Even the birds were happy under him. Probably. Okay. Back to without Siri coming on here. I'm using too much technology. But here's the point. He probably had all these wildlife preserves and cooks, and yeah, even a parsonage, the Bible says, for people like me, priests that work for him. I like that. And even as the Bible says, official friends of the king, did you know the king had an official friend in the kingdom? That's what it says: a friend. And the officials were this and that and this and running this cabinet and doing this office and a friend. Okay, right. And Solomon had horses and chariots like having planes and tanks on a military base that had to be kept and fueled and ready to go and all that kind of stuff. Down, Downton Abbey and Louis XIV, Versailles and the Kremlin and Westminster in England and King's Landing for you Game of Thrones fan are but summer cottages compared to the operation Solomon had going on in the city of David. The kingdom, the people of the kingdom were called and freed by the throne to give all to the throne, with, with give all they had, to bring all they had to the centralized rule and reign of the king. And yet it was not all good, right? We see forced labor in verse 6. That was bad. And then horses and chariots in verse 26. The king had a lot of them. That was forbidden by God. But we're going to purposely not get into that right now. Other than to realize King Solomon is not King Jesus, right? right so, but, but very important, and we'll get back to it, just not today. but here's the point of this whole thing: The administration called for all the people to give to the throne, and the administration went out and it made sure the people had the opportunity to give all they could, give to the king and kingdom work and blah, blah, and unlike how it may feel a lot about. By us, when we're being taxed, when government doesn't work or seem to be working for us, the Bible describes Israel as not only being at peace with the system of giving, but happy under it. Happy under and with what Solomon and his kingdom was doing and about, so they gave, and Solomon set up more than enough ways to give. Let me explain it this way: The people in God's kingdom were called to give according to the glory. Y'all, the heaviness, the weight, not of the practical needs and demands of the kingdom, but according to the weight and demand of the glory and honor, their king demanded. That's why in verse 21, it's called giving a tribute and not a tax. They were called... And giving to the sheer breadth and depth and greatness of the kingdom according to the wisdom and might and honor and glory their king demanded in and of himself as God's representative. No, this ain't going to Pastor Brown, God's representative, y'all give him. No, that ain't where it's going. I know some of y'all might be thinking that because you went to that kind of church. We ain't headed there. So hang with me. I don't want you, I don't want you to think of their offering as just a tax so that Solomon could live fat and big, right? But as a deserved honorarium due to a king who has been honored and lifted up and gifted by God to command that much attention and that much giving. It's unheard of, y'all. We don't do that because our leaders just, what? We think in our mind, they don't deserve it. Regardless of who wins president, it ain't going to be like, yes, please, here's my checkbook. Take as many taxes as you want, President Clinton or President Trump, whoever wins, right? Take it. I'm so, because you, you are so honorable and so perfect. It don't work like that anymore. Amen, yeah. We try to hide our taxes, right? Even presidential candidates try not to pay taxes, right? We all do it. Bottom line, do you know what solomon 's glory called for? And his administration work for for to free and command people everywhere to bring and give everything they could give as they were called and played a part in giving glory to god 's king? No one could would or should be left out and allowed to be left out in giving free and committed glory to him in gifts and work and sacrifice. Let me ask you a question then. Whether you're a believer or not today, if Solomon demanded that kind of honorarium for his service and care and peace and wisdom and honor and glory and brilliance of benevolence that he brought his people, how much more then the Lord, the king of kings, behind and above Solomon, what should be due his name, his kingdom, his glory? What honor is due to the perfect, loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, never failing God who made, made and rules over you, the earth, and everything in it? What else could you say but here you go, God? Take this. Take me. Take all that I am. What do you need, Lord? What do you require? What would your eternal loving kingdom have me be and do with all that I am and all that I have to honor you? And that means... As we look at the way Solomon's administration went, there is not one person or one economic group or one tribe or one race or gender or age or place or profession or intellectual ability or disability or social standing or nationality that is not part of bringing glory to God in some way. And that is the administration of God's kingdom on earth. The church should, should there's not anyone we should not be reaching and freeing, and, and as individuals in God's church, doing and being and seeking to give glory to God. Missionary work, outreach into the diversity of Charlotte, calling people, right? Some people that we don't even know, we don't even speak the same language, right, consistently. Calling people anyway, and in and for this church, because God's glory demands and calls that the whole world be able to give him praise and bring tribute and glory to him through his son, the King Jesus Christ, the immigrant, the abused, The oppressed, the intellectually, physically, and educationally able and disabled, right? The southerner, the northerner, the male, the female, the youth, the empty nesters and millennials, too. God is seeking his glory in and of, out of you all. And the Bible says that everyone ate, drank, and was happy in this tribute glory-giving kingdom. Wouldn't that be nice? to actually feel happy about sacrifice, happy about giving, happy when it's your month? Because remember, he split up these 12 governors and to over the 12 kingdoms to supply one month for each year, eat one month out of the year, right? Wouldn't it be like, yes, it's our month to give, hallelujah. My turn? Yeah. When is next month coming? You'll be happy to see your governor coming, right? To take up your stuff, right? Here you go, happy. Give this to the king. Man, if we could live like that. But some of you are miserable. And feeling unfulfilled and unfruitful, like your life is empty and God is not doing much and thus not deserving much of your tribute, I bet somehow in the church we are not really connected in a way where you can give and bring glory to God, your tribute of sacrifices and gifts and times and obedience, or you have maybe dropped out, some of us, maybe feeling suffering or sin or circumstance or moodiness. No one gets or can expect much from you. Some of you are just sort of, like I do a lot, Pout. There's no passion in your heart to give to God right now. Let me tell you, you'll never feel and know fulfillment and experience the joy and fruitfulness of God in your life unless you join with others, joining in his kingdom and bringing the tribute of yourself. It's ironic. I don't feel it, so I'm going to stay away. And yet, if you, don't, if you stay away, you will never feel fruitful and honored. You will never be happy, right? You, you'll never have the fullness necessary to then give. It's the irony of the kingdom. It's the irony of the gospel. Let me say this. This passage is saying good news. If you're in his kingdom, even though it might not sound like good news... <laughs> You are not special. People don't want to hear that, especially in America. You ain't special. In this way, your challenges in life do not make you special and thus exempt from bringing God glory. And being committed, right? Anyhow, and in every way you are called to God. And if you are a member or called to this church, it is here that you bring tribute, right? And it's okay for the elders of this church to say, where are you at? Where you been? What are you giving? What are you doing? Not for our glory. We just work for the man. It is here you bring tribute. And if you don't have a place to bring tribute, you better find one. That's the way the kingdom works. It doesn't have to be here and to not do so because you have to kind of appeal to our consumerism as Americans right to not to do so will empty you of god's glory and fruitfulness and fulfillment ever wonder if it's happiness that goes before glory or glory given to god before our happiness let me tell you it all started with god's glory first before your happiness comes and should come, or has to come every time. Bring your tribute and glory to God with and like all of God's people, and you will see and experience the joy of his glory. I'll do a little pastoral observation. No, Christ Central is not as diverse and dignifying each people group as I would like. In every church, I think, like verse 6, there's some slave labor (laughs) in quotes (laughs) because some of you have not gotten the gospel (laughs) or some of you have been left out and mistreated for some reason. Maybe you're not in the right click or this church is clicky. I agree. It probably is true here like it is in every church. Okay? We we are hoping and working that that not be true. (laughs) But can I give God glory a little bit just for a minute and just kind of show you God's glory at work in you when I see you on Sunday singing giving your offering and meeting and greeting Wednesday night discussion group man my community group last week new people came everyone just squeezing in and squeezing out what and where they can and answering questions and being a part and sometimes it just takes some effort I know it's a sacrifice for you to be there You're tired, and some of you don't want to be pushed or challenged, but still giving and sharing with with, with each other and thus bringing sacrificial gifts and tribute to God. It was a blessing. The men's retreat yesterday and Friday, just all types, right? The glory of God falls on and shines on and in us as glory for him fills the room from every tribe and every region and every age, whether you're on the outs or you're in the in, right? I don't care who you are or how bad you are or how bad his- your history is. The king of glory is here. And because of him, you are part and are called to be a part of making his name and honor
0: glorious.
1: Oh, I see it, y'all. Oh, last week again at Wednesday night, people were talking and this one said this and one said that, that I don't even, I don't know their life. Glory. Because people brought their tribute. And not that God needs your tribute to be glorious, but when we bring it, it just lights him up. Where are you? We need you. I'm not talking necessarily about uh, Wednesday night, Uh, even though that's a great place to be. I'm saying like, where are you? You can't see the glory of God without bringing and sharing in the tribute of everyone bringing everything they are. Which brings us to our final point. He glorifies people like you and me. Do you know why Solomon's administration of God's glory and reign was so tight? Do you know why he wanted wisdom to have a kingdom that would bring God's glory to the ends of the earth? I know why I would want it. So I could hang with the big ballers, right? I just, give me some wisdom, Lord. Let, let, let me be rich, right? I want to be secure. But that's not what Solomon asked it for. God added riches and honor. Why? Because God desires to share and show his glory with those of us who are as people and places that are filled with problems that would keep us separated from him. He wanted to let us know that we are important with him and important to him. Look at verses 20 through 25. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision was for one day. Boy, this, this operation right here. 30 cores of, fi- of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fax- fat oxen, and 20 pasture-fed cattle, a hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from uh Tifsa to Gaza over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. I want you to recognize what's going on here. Solomon was great. And And that made everyone good. It made everything all good. Solomon's being secure and who he was and having all his provisions and match, matching to his glory meant for the people of God that they were, as verse 25 says, safe and secure themselves. If God is secure in being God, everyone and everything in his kingdom is safe and secure as well. Let me say it this way. If God is good, things for you are going to be good. I didn't say without suffering, I'm not saying without struggle, but all things working for the good of those under and in God's kingdom. If God is important, then as his people, you are important with him, only with him, joining into his dignity and his glory. Surprise, I have a Clemson illustration. these are easy to come up with when you have a bye week everything's good on a bye week whenever I run into a Clemson fan or graduate it's happened even a pure stranger almost got in trouble because this this I was at a restaurant I'm trying to think who I was with somebody in this room probably is and 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 the kid sitting in the booth beside me he and his mom I guess he was about 11 I noticed he had a Clemson shirt he's like I was like hey you like Clemson yeah, and I sat down in a booth beside him to show him my pictures. And his mom was like, What are you showing him? And I caught myself, Wait a minute, I don't know you, and I'm showing you pictures. A stranger walks in and shows your 11 year old pictures. No, sir? Okay, sorry, mom. Um, sorry to all you moms, I just get excited. You know why? Because you know what I'm equipped with? My pics on my phone with me and my boys, and pictures with head coach Dabble Sweeney and Heisman Trophy candidate Clemson quarterback Deshaun Watson.
0: What happened? Y'all supposed to
1: cheer or something? (laughs) Oh, what? I got them pictures, y'all. I can't wait. But someone's like, hey, I went to Clemson. I'm like, I don't have, I don't know how to fix my phone where it pops right up. So I'm like, "Hold, hold on, I gotta show you something. D, you got to show me the Google thing so I can just boop, and it pops up. But right now, <laughs> and you know what that, that they do and what it does to me? I have some folks step back and look at me and say, man, who are you? You must be someone important or special. And here's the deal. They are not impressed and think I'm important, and I don't brag or find security and happiness in the fact that I am in the picture but because of the glory of the ones in the picture that I am with that makes me feel secure and important. I've got good news about God and all his self-generated glory and all his brilliance and benevolence and weightiness and divine heaviness. He is completely secure in himself and this most important, self-important, divine God has sent his king so that not only would his glory shine on you, but that God in and with his glory can be with you. Do you know what Solomon meant? What Solomon meant to God's people, and why they were so happy in their circumstances? Believed they were important, just like they were worth something, because through the glory of Solomon and his kingdom, regardless of who they were and where they lived, and they were all in the picture with God. God included them in the picture of his glory and what makes them pleased and happy and he does this today through through one whom the Bible aptly calls Emmanuel God with us. God's king with us. John the apostle said, In Jesus they beheld the one filled with the glory of God, Jesus Christ. The very wisdom of God became flesh and living with us. God getting in the picture and bringing us into the picture with him in a way that says you have dignity, you have importance, and you are beloved and wanted and desired by God. You are made important. By God's bringing glory to your life by declaring in Jesus, I am with you, woman. I am with you, single mom. I am with you, unemployed man, underemployed, hardworking, can't make it work right now. With you, black man, not appreciated and thought of a threat in the country or your community here and there. With you, ruling and type A personality. With you, teenager. With you, not wanted immigrant in this country or undocumented with you struggling with your sexual identity, with you underachieving and overachieving or caught in the middle, you can find joy in who you are under where you are right now in your circumstance, not because it and you are so great, but because you are important as one with God in his picture and plan of glory. And if you are important with God, means you're definitely important to God. Look back at something that almost escaped me in first reading. Look at verse 20 again. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. And then look at verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind. Like what? Like sand on the seashore. I don't think it's an accident here. The people are like sand on the seashore. You remember when Solomon asked for wisdom back in chapter three? He asked for wisdom so that he could what? Give, judge. That means protect. That means careful. That's no. The people of Israel. And he said, there's too many of them, right? But Lord, here's his appeal. Because they are important to you, let me know each and every one. Let me know enough, rather, to care for each and every one in a way that you value them. That's why they were happy under their own tree. That's why they ate and drank and were happy. Because Solomon's wisdom and his administration of his kingdom was able to declare and make people know you are important to God. You know what Solomon's display of glory and brilliance said about God? God's people, people who would come to God, who are drawn to his glory, are not only important again with him, but to him. His kingdom plan, it's hard sometimes because we're so selfish. You see somebody getting rich, you just think that just means we're going to get poorer. (laughs) You see somebody having a lot, you think, man, we need to redistribute the wealth, right? Because somehow they got more because somebody else got less. His kingdom plan is not just about a glory for him, but to his people, his children. Hear this now. Those even as in Solomon's kingdom on the fringes of the kingdom on the outs even. Not living all up in the the city of David, in uptown, no. Struggling in the hard places and cold places and darker places of the kingdom. They talked about how grand his kingdom was and then they talked about how his knowledge extended to all of those places. He understood their trees. He understood their animal life. He knew everything about everyone everywhere. If you are in his kingdom like the sands on the seashore, you are on the mind and under the administration and in care and care, and importance to God. Think about how and why we spend our days. Working. Hoping. Stressing. Romancing. Giving. Sacrifice. All in attempt to what? get worth to feel important to some of us feeling less than human to finally feel human to escape from a bad past looking for a better future feeling safe and secure in some way like the people in this passage trying to be happy happy important to yourself and with your life and even important maybe to somebody else So often we fall into the trap of seeking glory for ourselves and from others that only God can give and deserves. Here's the point. You'll never, without seeking God's glory and brilliance and good and rule and reign over your life, you'll never be important to yourself or anyone else or with yourself or anyone else if you are seeking glory on your own for yourself. You'll never be happy. It'll never be good enough. You always run out of stuff to feed yourself, which is not amazing because Solomon has all of these requirements, but the people never run out. I am here to tell you that if you're trying to feed yourself happiness and importance and worth apart from Jesus Christ, you are going to run out. I don't care how much money you make, I don't care how many people you slept with or whether you slept with them or gave your heart to them or did all you could to sell out to be accepted here or there or you work like a dog to finally get yours and be someone or be something or how high you can climb or, or how ethnocentric or gender, gender-centric you, you've committed to be to counter the world's ills or whether you're taking up your own cause or how much angst and anger and protest and horsepower you push with, you will never, ever get there. Because God has not made you or this world to be happy living apart from him and his glory. And some of us are holding back serving and sacrificing and being in fellowship and giving God all we are right now where we are. Because we see those things as either too important for us to be needed or more so we are waiting for a situation and standing that will make us feel important enough to finally give our all to God. What are you waiting for? Why aren't you involved now? Are you waiting to be important? Or things to be important enough for you to sacrifice to get in? You'll never be important enough in and of yourself to feel driven to get in and sacrifice. And I don't care what situation you go to next or what better church you can find or whatever else. If it's due to you seeking some sort of importance or recognition on your own and for yourself, you'll never find it. Never. Or you'll find it for a minute and two years later, you'll feel sad again Here's what you need to know. You and I will never be more important to God than we could be right now. Right here. Right where you are and to think otherwise will send you to a place in where you will never give glory to God with fulfillment and happiness. What are you waiting for? If you are in Christ, you are already on his mind and in his heart. You're already valued as much as you possibly can be valued. You and I will only know our importance and glory that God has designated to crown you and me with if you realize how important we are with him and to him now. The history of rulers that live in extravagant glory is usually not good for those under their rule. Like Louis XIV, who I mentioned earlier, who ruled France 72 years between the 17th and 18th century. And he was an awesome and centralized and glorified and so grand and decadent in arts and power and military and foreign diplomacy. And he had this palace to Versailles. It was incredible. And, and, and he, he was nicknamed the Sun King because he was so brilliant. And the world revolved around him. I don't know if y'all know this story, but at Louis XIV's death, the Sun King, who had the most magnificent extravagant court in Europe, planned his own funeral to be just as spectacular. The King instructed the priest preaching at his funeral, Father Massillon, that upon his death, he was a lion's state in a golden coffin at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. He further instructed that at his funeral service, the entire cathedral was to be completely dark, lit dimly by only one candle positioned above the coffin so that all would be awed by the late king's presence, even in his death. When Louis died, Louis died. Priest and did exactly as the king had instructed, and the funeral thousands waited in hushed silence as they peered at the exquisite exquisite casket that held the mortal remains of their monarch, illuminated by a single flickering candle. But as as, as he began his funeral oration, and to the surprise of all, the priest slowly reached down and snuffed out the candle, representing the late king's greatness. Then, in the darkness of the room, he proclaimed to all, Only God is great. A defiant cry to both the late king and those in attendance who had called him, Louis XIV, the the great. Here's some irony. (laughs) When Jesus, the light of the world, the king of glory died on the cross, God's love was... When the light of the world was snuffed out on the cross... God's love was made great for us. Because at and by his death, God the Father gave the greatest tribute the world can know to give his only son to die for sinners for his glorious plan. And it meant that now, as the Bible says, many sons and daughters will be brought to from darkness and sin into his glory. You know what that means? Because Jesus, the King of glory, died and rose. People like you and me, Broken and sinners, we'll be able to see and experience in the darkness of this world, in our hearts, his brilliance. And because God gave him as a tribute for us, we are free and able to give him glory just like we are in him and live in happiness as those important and and invaluable with and to him. Jesus is the King of glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the greatness of your glory shines around us. That in the darkness of sin, the light of the world was snuffed out so that we could know our value to you thank you for being great to us and for us. We thank you and praise you that Christ's glory makes those of us in this world, the world tells you you're not important, you're not this, you're not enough. But in Christ, your grace is sufficient to make us know We are wanted, we're loved and desired by the King. Lord, those of us who feel challenged, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not fall into another works mentality that says we're only important if we work this way in the church or that way. (laughs) But help us realize, Lord, that our importance comes and drives our sacrifice, the importance that comes from you. I pray for those who don't know you today who are out there struggling, trying to be something apart from your glory, trying to get glory on their own, a glory that will finally put an end to their darkness, finally put an end to their struggle. Lord, I pray that you would frustrate their plans. Let them know that it'll never work, never be happy, never be settled, never be enough. History, things done to them, things not done for them will never go away until they find contentment, fruitfulness, and fulfillment in you draw them to you to call and claim you, Lord. Today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.